0: Hello and welcome to the Business of Authority. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And today we're going to try to convince you that profit matters.
1: Oh, it does. We have got (laughs) to convince people, Jonathan, or we're in trouble.
0: So I've been on a tear recently going into game theory and reading all of these books about, uh, like I'm finally reading the actual original Finite and Infinite Games by James Carse or is it Carsey maybe? And I just read Thinking in Bets by Annie Duke, which is going to be in, under everybody's Christmas tree in my family this year. <laughs> and and I also watched Squid Game, and and you did? Oh, oh people are gonna be talking about that show for twenty years.
1: <sighs> I haven't tried it yet.
0: It is amazing. So, mm. but buckle your seatbelt. It's not not a fun ride. But uh, anyway, so I've been really, really, uh, I don't know, in this like games rabbit hole, and one of the things that. Uh, that sort of clicked for me, or sort of a, it aligned, was the, the how people keep score of their business. And there's there's just a there's like a load of stuff to unpack here, but I just want to focus in on one thing that shouldn't be, in my opinion, shouldn't be um, controversial. And I sent a couple of emails about it, and and in fact got a non-trivial amount of pushback. And the the general idea is that there are lots of what I would call vanity metrics that are really easy to measure in your business. Things like Mm -hmm. followers on Twitter and likes and uh, shares and subscribers to your YouTube channel. And and these are all potentially useful leading indicators for stuff downstream that actually matters because you can't, you know, (laughs) you can't buy Cheerios with likes on Twitter. Exactly. You do at some point need to be profitable. And in fact, I would argue that if you can be profitable every single month on average let's say at least 10 months a year i mean of course it depends on how much profit you have but you need to be at least paying attention to your profitability and if you don't do that then you're not going to be in business for very long
1: mm-hmm.
0: so i was i was a little bit surprised how many people were like yeah but you know what about all these other things so that's so you know, we were talking about that before the show. So we figured we'd we'd drill into this a little bit and talk about some of the objections that that people have to being profitable.
1: Yeah, I'm really curious about the yeah buts.
0: <laughs> yeah. So starting way upstream, because I see all of these as like leading and lagging indicators. So if if you think way upstream and you're like, oh, you know, like like email list subscribers. So for me, after years and years of tracking it, I can reliably say that the number of uh, subscribers on my mailing list correlates to my profits. Like there Mm -hmm. is a, there is a, I don't have an exact number or whatever. Like if I have every 10,000 subscribers, then I'm going to make X dollars. Like I don't, I don't track it to that point, but I see, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's not causal, but there is some correlation between this this upstream subscriber count and my annual income so a leading indicator for me feels like subscriber count so if i so in basically all my marketing activities i drive people to just subscribe it's free Mm -hmm. we're just gonna you know i'm just gonna give you you your your daily vitamin j and if you like (laughs) it you'll keep reading and if you want to go faster then i'm just confident i again i can't prove this but i'm confident that eventually people are going to buy a book or they're eventually going to, they're just going to want to accelerate the progress. They're going to want to get more faster right. than right. this daily 300 words. But here's the thing. A lot of advice you'll see online is like, oh, the money's in the list. Like, grow your list, grow your audience. And it's fairly, it's, it's, it's a good rule of thumb, I would say. I, I think that it's pretty common to hear people with a, a, a non-trivial size list be like, yeah, its it's the most important part of my business. It's not definitely true, though. Like you can have a list yeah. with a lot of people on it and still be broke or working it could at be a the wrong.
1: They could be the wrong people, first of all. And of course, it's how you're going to monetize these mm-hmm. options for the audience. Because when you're first starting, you may not have very many options. You may mm-hmm. not offer them much. But yeah, my but my concern sometimes with these giant lists is that they're lists of all different kinds of people. Mm-hmm. And they they don't have this commonality that is really going to help you grow your business.
0: Right. You haven't figured something out yet that needs to be figured out. And like somehow you're not attracting the exact right people or whatever the case may be. But subscriber count on your mailing list is it's really just one metric. Like I, I have a, a student who just hit, I don't know if it was 100,000 or a million. It must have been 100,000 subscribers on his YouTube channel. But is that doing anything for him? I mean, I've seen plenty of YouTubers crying about the fact that they can't make money even though they've got a million followers mm-hmm. or people that have like, like, you know, hundreds of thousands or you know, of, of followers on Twitter, but still have a day job, and it's it's right. like, or they have a viral video. This actually happened to me once. Like my webs, my Starbucks card thing went viral, and I I made I didn't make two two dollars off of it. it was like, <laughs> yeah, it's right. like a total vanity metric. So I think that you kind of need to take. The advice about any of these leading indicators like oh grow your list or get more followers or share stories or whatever you do on instagram and be like okay but how is that going to translate into profits like there needs to be some kind of not guaranteed but some kind of reasonable expectation that that's going to lead to profits because if it doesn't lead to profits then you're not going to be able to keep doing it
1: one way to think about that is line of sight in other words, can you see how doing X and you just like keep looking out like what happens next, what happens after that, and what happens after that, but you can see it, mm-hmm. right? And that doesn't mean that it will happen necessarily, but you can see it. Mm-hmm. And I think especially when you're starting out, you want to stick with very clear line of sight objectives.
0: Yeah. So this might be basic advice that's, that's um – that's mostly applicable to people who are a little newer to consulting maybe they've gone out on their own recently or whatever the case might be but you just want to watch out for the the upstream vanity metrics but then the downstream stuff so so even even um farther downstream from profits that some of the yeah buts were things like well um, doesn't that lead to short-term thinking Mm. you know that you know that's a good point yeah. Isn't that what Wall Street does? Isn't that what's wrong with capitalism? Isn't that what's wrong with the United States? And it was a, a fair point, but the person kind of, I, I could have written a clearer email. I didn't say maximize profits or that your goal was to constantly obsess over them and, and try and increase them at all costs. thats I, I should have said that. It didn't occur to me that that someone would read it that way, but it makes sense because I, mm-hmm. you know, that's, I wasn't clear about that, but I don't, I think max trying to maximize profits absolutely does lead to ridiculous cost cutting, uh, you know, a harmful cost cutting mm-hmm. or short-term thinking. And that's, that's definitely not what I'm advocating. I'm, I'm not saying you should you try to play tricks to maximize your uh, profits on a particular month or quarter or year even. But if you're not paying attention to your profits, then it it would be like magic. It would be be like a miracle if it just magically happened that you were like doing well and profitable and so forth.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, it really is the number one metric that at the end of the day, it's what we all need to look at to make sure that what we're doing is working for us because this is a business. Mm-hmm. we have to make right. money to survive never mind yeah. thrive I mean there's there's <laughs> the first level you know Maslow's hierarchy of needs right we want food water shelter and then we can you know move our way up the, the pyramid based on how well our business performs
0: right and, and let's let's not forget it is a business right this yeah. isn't the hobby if it's if it's a business and you want it to last a long time and this is the next yeah but if you want it to have a big impact, you better be get. You better be making more than you're spending, or you're, it's not gonna work, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, and that was that was the other thing. So it was like, well, what about measuring impact? And I'm like, that's fine. You can measure impact, and that's a great thing to measure. Uh, but you can't eat it for dinner. So you need to, you know, fine. Keep an eye on that. It's an even farther downstream lagging indicator than profits or revenue. Mm-hmm. And 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 that's absolutely great it's totally fine but you can't it just ignore the profits at a certain point you might be like you might say well i know that if my i know that if my impact is growing my business model is so dialed that i don't technically have to look at profits anymore because it's tied to the impact i'm having so like impact almost becomes a leading indicator
1: okay but i still say that's wrong i you still have to look at profits. It doesn't mean you have to be driven by them, mm-hmm. but that's that's kind of the point of this whole episode is is we have to look at them.
0: Yeah. 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 So I don't I- like to
1: say should and have to, but I think in this case because it's it when you don't watch anything, things happen. So you just want to know. And you you could spend 5 minutes in a whole mm-hmm. month on it. Mm-hmm. It's not like this is going to be like your overriding obsession, but you want to know how your what your profit line looks like.
0: mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Yeah, that's exactly what I do as a matter of fact. Like I have a recurring event on the first of every month where I take my numbers out of – like basically move my numbers from Moonclerk and Stripe into just a spreadsheet, like a projection Mm -hmm. spreadsheet. And it's like, oh, cool. Okay.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It doesn't take a lot of time. but, But then don't you feel good the rest of the month?
0: Yeah, as long as they're going in the right direction. <laughs> well, yeah, and if they're not, though, you have
1: a chance to do something about it. Mm-hmm. You're not waiting and wondering and, and all of that. You, you've you've got a plan.
0: Yep. And so I think before the show, you mentioned you know sometimes you have to make investments, so the profits might not look good for the month. And th- and I do take that into consideration when I'm if I'm like a month that's that's not better than last year or is like really down or whatever. As long as there's a reason. Then I'm like, okay, you know, I made a strategic decision to, I don't know, invest in a tractor. Like, what? What's the thing? I'm not sure. Maybe it's, you know, paying a lot of money for an editor and a book cover design. Oh, listen,
1: if you looked (laughs) at my numbers for September and October, you'd go, what? Yeah, (laughs) my expenses went way, 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 way up. But it's part Mm -hmm. of the plan.
0: Right. It's part of the plan. It's to be expected that the costs were going up, and and you know, there's an end in sight. So, right. So you just like you've got a, a. launch date so at that point in time all of those expenses will be gone and presumably you don't have any particular new expenses following on post-launch so it's like okay my costs yeah. went up but it, you know so you just take that into consideration again yeah, they is went up about for a couple of months profit.
1: yeah when next month next year's yeah exactly Hmm. It's a it's a thoughtful investment. And that's the other piece is when you think about profit, then you do make thoughtful investments. Because as long as you're not moving over to short-term thinking, you're saying, okay, so if I develop this course, if I develop this program, if I offer this new service, what does it cost to put together? What are the investment right. costs? What are the ongoing costs? What do I think is the likelihood that This is going to turn a profit, or how many people are going to buy it at what price? You know, you do the math, right, Mm -hmm. and then you make it a, a wise for you investment decision. This is a good idea, a bad idea, or I'm not sure. Maybe I need to test it more.
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, so let's talk about that for a second, because what is profit? Profit is the simple, the simplest. Uh, in the simplest form, it's like how much money you brought in minus how much money you had to spend and whatever's left over. Yeah,
1: it's what's left. <laughs>
0: right. It's what's left over. That's why yeah. it's the number that matters most to me because you'll see people like, I'm growing my business and they're they're not thoughtfully, they're adding headcount, but in a not thoughtful way. They're just like, oh, I can afford to hire, you know, three new developers. Won't that be cool? Won't I be like, you know, um, fancier now? Oh. And it's like, it's, it's like, a, whoa. Yeah.
1: It's a trap. I mean, I did that. It, mm-hmm. I, I think I talked about this on the podcast, but in my the first business that I started, um we were doing consulting business where our markup is two to three hundred percent. And somehow I got the smart not idea to try staffing because we had more people than we could use. And oh, right. you did talk yeah. About this. Yeah, and so the idea was instead of getting 2 to 300% markup I was getting 20 or 30% markup. Guess what? Mm-hmm. You still need the same amount of cash flow to get those returns. <laughs> so if I'd actually thought about it in advance instead of, you know, actually doing it. But the good news is we only did it for a couple of months because I was watching the bottom line and I went Oh, you know it's like I smacked myself in the head like what was I thinking mm-hmm. you know we we didn't have unlimited cash flow if we did it might have been a good a good move because 20 to 30 percent is not a bad return on most businesses mm-hmm. but when you can get two or three hundred percent 20 to 30 doesn't look so great
0: yeah right especially when you think about the management layer that would need yeah it's a different yeah. move it's just it, a yeah, totally different move
1: It was a totally different business model and I, mm. I missed the subtlety but I, I got it real fast.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one of the, so, you know, it's, it's how much money you bring in minus how much money you spend your costs. And, and one of the, one of the yeah, buts, which I briefly alluded to was, was that, that a over-focus on increasing profitability, it, it's, it's almost, it's pretty common. It feels pretty common. I always notice when businesses basically tank because some cost cutter becomes the CEO, like the COO or the yes. CFO becomes the CEO, mm-hmm. and they stop investing in innovation, they stop investing in R&D, and they just start cutting. Yeah. And, you know, like that is, well, sometimes that's probably required. Sometimes maybe there's some bloat or whatever. But at a certain point, you need to be like, okay, these, you know, we're not going to cut innovation or r and d or or we're not going to let our entire editorial team go <laughs> right like the right. the the they someone can come in who misunderstands the or there's a new strategy but generally it feels like from the outside it feels like someone comes in who misunderstands fundamentally how the business is creating value and sees the whole thing as like a machine to be optimized
1: mm-hmm. yeah
0: and so they they go for efficiency and efficiency is the opposite of creativity. So if creativity is core to your business and it's hard to think of one that, where it isn't, then it's a very dangerous thing to do if you're not really thinking, if you not really being thoughtful about what things you cut.
1: Well, yeah, you can't cut your way to innovation. You can't mm-hmm. cut your way to being the industry leader. I mean, it right. just doesn't, it doesn't work that way. So, and there's also a thing that happens and it's a mindset. And I've seen this a lot with, with people, even when their bank accounts are huge, is that there is the a fear when they look at, at the numbers and there's this fear, it's all going to go away. Mm-hmm. And Sometimes those are the kinds of people, if you have that kind of voice in your head, that you won't spend money on things that could get you to the next level. And just an example of that might be um, hiring a VA. I'm not saying Mm -hmm. everybody needs one, but that would be an example where if you said, oh, no, no, it's just too much money, and you made the decision that way, that's not the right way to make the decision. You want to think about it. What would happen if I offloaded this? What would I have to do to do that? How much would it cost me? What would I do with the free time that I found? What could I create with that? Where would my business go? I mean, those are the those are the kinds of strategic questions that we have to ask ourselves. And so it's never just about the money mm-hmm. in the end, but by keeping an eye on the profit without letting it descend into fear category yeah. is when you can really push forward.
0: Right. Yeah. You you touched on like when you said, so imagine you're thinking like, oh, I'm I've got all these tasks that I hate doing I'm going to get a VA to do them for me then like I think I think that's pretty common but the big question is and you said it is what are you going to do with the free time though Mm -hmm. you know are you going to do like creative work and or are you just going to like do nothing (laughs) you know
1: (laughs) Although and that I, could be a reason too, if you you know if your bank account's big enough, you may go. You know what? I just want to buy back a few hours of my time every week.
0: Yeah, I mean, right? Maybe you're overwhelmed or whatever, but yeah. But the point, the the bigger point is, or just, I'm going to hammer on this: is that if you haven't got it figured out and you're not reliably producing a positive number, then all of the the bigger picture, long range, you know, impact goals, they're just not going to happen. If, you, yes. if you're going to continue as a business, you could maybe continue in some other way and not be a business. But if you're going to call yourself a business, then you need to have profits, even though profits aren't the purpose, needs to be there. It's like running out of gas. Like you mm-hmm. just can't, you're just not going to keep traveling.
1: Well, I think the key word in what you said is reliably. And that doesn't necessarily mean it's the same number every month, but there is a reliable expectation that you're going to produce profit because that's what makes a business sustainable Mm -hmm. until there is some kind of reliability built into your model, your business you it's really hard to sustain and that those are the kinds of people who go "Uh i guess i better go back i'm I'm, you know i'm freelancing this just isn't working for me i need to go back inside now -hmm. it's fine if you need to because that's the right place for you it's where you're happiest you know great but if it's because you can't make enough money in your business then that's that's a problem
0: Mm -hmm. yeah so so the sustainability and the the sort of gas metaphor reminded me of another another uh, bit of pushback I got from the list, which was like was like, well, cash. What about cash flow? Cash mm-hmm. flow is, and I was like, yeah, cash flow is super important, Um, super important. In fact, I would almost put it right behind, like right after profit, because if you do have employees and there's payroll and cash flow becomes <laughs> really important
1: Trust me you think about it yeah. every night before you go to sleep. Yeah, I know
0: I remember I, I was I, I When I was managing the the firm I was just it was literal lost sleep and But here's the thing like if I was going to look super important not saying that but you can uh, Take on debt to deal with cash flow. There's a lot of ways you can deal with cash flow that would not be sustainable without reliable profits. So I still think, like you can't have bad profits and have good cash flow, like that that doesn't last. So yeah, I, cash I st- flow is
1: temporary anyway. I mean, it's a mm. temporary problem if, you know, unless you're doing something weird like, you know, taking your money and gambling in Vegas.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah making it've been doing something unprofitable yeah <laughs> so yeah I mean it's yeah. typically
1: in our kinds of businesses where we get into trouble with cash flow is we do a project for a client and we hire subcontractors and we haven't gotten paid yet but we have to mm-hmm. pay the subcontractors that's yep. still a temporary issue as long as the client's going to pay you at some point
0: yeah and that was part of my response to the the person again I, I could have written more in the email to make it clearer but other things I advocate make cash flow a non-issue for me because I get paid up front for everything Mm
1: -hmm. so
0: that is a huge so even if i was bringing in contractors not that i couldn't end up unprofitable if there was like if i let the scope get out of control or something but um but i just refuse to do this like loaning money to a bigger company (laughs) thing like why i'm not in the business of being a bank for you know a fortune 500 so you can either pay me up front or get someone else yeah so right so that sort of solves my cash flow thing But it does bring up, it it does, but, you know, not everyone does that. And it brings up the, something I see a lot. In fact, I was guilty of this for a long time, of having a very unclear boundary between myself as the employee and myself as the business owner.
1: Mm, That's killer.
0: It's, it's, yeah. So the way that I talk about it with folks who haven't quite gotten, you haven't quite seen the light is, is... If you, this is especially true for hourly billers. You know they're like, oh, I'm making 200 bucks an hour. They're like, are you though? <laughs> you, the, you know, if is the business making 200 bucks an hour, or is the employee making 200 bucks an hour? It's the employee.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, or most of it. So, if you if you imagine the way to imagine this, dear listener, if you, especially if you're a soloist, it's a lot it's a lot more obvious to people who have employees. But if you're a soloist and you're billing yourself out by the hour, and you imagine okay, all the stuff that I bill for, think of all the things that you bill for. It's probably the bulk of your week. There's probably some other stuff you do that you don't bill for. Administrative stuff, marketing, sales, networking, Mm -hmm. things like that. And you say, okay, imagine if if I hired someone to do all the delivery, the billable stuff, and I just focused on that other stuff, the unbillable stuff. How much money would you have left over if you hired (laughs) someone as good as you to do the delivery? And the answer is, Probably not. <laughs> Zero. Oh, yeah. Right. So I, I did not get that when I first went solo. I did not get that, which is like embarrassing to admit now that I look back on it. But I know it's really common. It is. Yeah. You think I- of the, your pay as all profit, but you're forgetting the massive <laughs> opportunity cost of you not doing other stuff that, that the business owner would do. Uh, that the employee can't do while they're doing delivery for clients. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, it goes back to it's a mindset. And I think some people just get it right away because they're so excited about doing a business and they want to create products and and new services that aren't just billing by the hour. But other people, it takes a while Mm -hmm. to kind of take off that employee hat and embrace this idea of a business.
0: Right, yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you think about you know, classic thing, I get a question all the time, like, oh, should I use my own name in as the domain mm-hmm. or the name of the business? Or should yeah. I use like a, a made up one? And I, I always say the same thing. I'm like, there's pros and cons to each, it doesn't really matter if you already have one. I mean, it could matter, but there's no way to really know. So just pick whichever one you like better, or which one's easier, you know, maybe you already have one of them, just use that. Uh, or maybe you're already getting lots of traffic to this particular site. But that but it's the wrong kind of traffic so use the other one and it's like there's so many variables um and you I, i'm sure you have like a stronger opinion about it but i always just say eh whatever
1: <laughs> I do. I'm not a mint on that one. But no, but the I agree with it depends on the situation and what's happening behind the scenes. But if you're just starting out, it's really what's your vision for your business and match the name to the vision. If you know right now, like my first business, I knew it wasn't going to be about me. I would never have put my name on the first business. In fact, that's why it took us so long to figure out what's the right name for this band of revolutionaries, right? (laughs) What should we call ourselves? Um, so, so that's clear. And sometimes I've worked with people who have like really common names like John Smith. Mm
0: -hmm. And so
1: getting that exact domain was impossible. And Mm -hmm. so, and so you have to kind of work around that. I had one client uh, a number of years ago who used her maiden name and a name that she just liked. And she put the two together and she built a firm. I think she's got 30 or 40 people under that name now. Mm. So, yeah, there's a lot of ways to do it. Keep your eye on the vision. That's, mm-hmm. That would be my advice. Start with the vision.
0: Yeah, I agree with all that. You know, it depends It depends on the situation. But here's the thing. If you use your own name then and it's just you, then I think it, it, it lends itself to this sort of blurriness between the business money and the person's money. Mm -hmm. you know especially if people are you know like I incorporated my business right out of the gate because I wanted to like minimize the risk of of you know someone coming after my house or whatever I wanted my finances to be completely separate but a lot of people don't do that you know
1: yeah yeah but that's that's part of I did the same thing for the same reasons but it's that is part of the exercise is and I always recommend that because people will go, oh, well, in the state of California, you, there's an $800 annual filing fee plus a percentage of your, I forget if it's revenue or profits over a certain number. And every state has a little different rule. And they're like, oh, I don't want to pay the $800. I'm mm-hmm. like, shut up and sign the check. You need mm-hmm. to think about this as a business. And that's the, that's the very first thing that's going to allow you to separate the business from yourself.
0: Yeah, Totally. And even though I did that, I still was like, this is all my money, right? Mm -hmm. It's just like completely Yeah. Yeah. Well it's funny because
1: when I when I in my if I'm making notes mm -hmm. like when I'm doing banking stuff and I'm looking between the accounts, the business account never has my name on it. Right. Like just in my own notes. I'll just, I'll I'll either, I used to write the initials, but um, bum, be unforgettable media. It was like not quite right. (laughs) So I just, I always write biz, B-I-Z, whenever I'm writing something or or moving money around or something, it's, it's a psychological thing and it's not hard. You just, you're sort of tricking yourself into thinking about it a certain way at the beginning, after you start doing it, you, you separate them automatically in your head.
0: Mm, Yes. So, you know, all tactical things to consider, dear listener, but the, the, to bring it back to the main point is the, your salary, your pay for doing the stuff, like the delivery, the client work, whatever it is, that is a cost. Even though you as the employee are getting it, it's a cost to the business. Mm -hmm. If you're going to like replace yourself, then... You, you might find that you have zero profits. Like you would not be able to sustain yourself. Like as an employee, you might be getting paid very well. But as the business, as a business owner, you're like, you're, you're not getting anything. And I, I love, and that's a sign that you're, you know, well, that is, that is a fact that the business is not profitable. And a sign that the business is not profitable would be uh, sort of in the John Warlow camp of, you know, could you sell the business? If it's profitable, then you probably could. If it's reliably profitable, you probably could. man, eh, I guess it depends. but but certainly nobody would be interested in buying a business that has like zero profits year over year. Uh, but but yeah. you know, you've just created a really good job for yourself, but you haven't created a business if it's not profitable,
1: yeah, yeah. and and there are reasons why you might want to do that, but you also want to understand the risks of that. Like if something happens to you. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, well, yeah. So, can you think? I mean, I can think of some examples that don't apply. So, so like, like Amazon is fame was famously for a long time never paying out dividends to the investors. They're just always barely breaking even mm-hmm. because their metric. Well, I don't, I'm not going to say what their metrics were, but but it seems from the outside. I don't really know, of course, but it seems from the outside that they wanted to capture, gobble up the most market share possible. Mm-hmm. Grow and grow and grow. Invest everything back into the business until they got to the point that they're at now and probably beyond. You know, so they're going to have their every, they have their own spaceships. Right? <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I was like, going to say, it's
1: been in space. So, what, like, <laughs> what's yeah. the next frontier?
0: Right. So, you know, it's like okay, but are you really building Amazon? Are you trying to gobble up market share? Are you trying? I mean, if you if you had some kind of strategy where you're like, nope, I want to, uh, I just want to barely break even for 2 years for some reason maybe it's you know you want to write you know in between doing client delivery you want to i don't know write like three books or something or, or mm-hmm. I, I don't know like but if you if you were thoughtful about it and you had a plan a strategy and a plan to follow to support it then it'd be like all right that you know that makes sense but just so many people are just like oh i'm getting more followers on my youtube so things must be good and I, i'm like <laughs>
1: No, no, no. Well, and I think the other thing is is you make investment decisions based on where you want to take your business. I mean, when I started my first company, I had the, this vision that you know we'd just be like raking money in, and we kind of did, but mm-hmm. our expenses were big, so it was because of cash flow. Like we'd be doing really well, and then have to pay everybody, and then it'd be another month or two before we got all the money from those clients, and then we'd have a new client and we'd have to pay that. So if we stopped at any point, like if we just closed the business, we'd have a big pile of cash from that. But it was never, I mean, we paid our ourselves salaries and things like that, but it was never like this huge cash generator because we always put it back in the business. But then when we sold it, that's when we captured, really captured the value.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's a great point. Like you, you built it knowing that you didn't want your name on it, that it was going to be, I mean, did you say you knew you were going to sell it at some point or?
1: Yes. That was part of the plan.
0: Okay. So yeah. So that makes sense. You know, just like build up the value and then capture it way at the end.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, we didn't, we sold it way sooner than we thought we would. I mean, I I was picturing myself like retiring and selling it, not selling it in six years, but Mm. yeah. Yeah, but we always designed it to be sold.
0: Cool. All right. Well, hopefully we've convinced people that profits matter.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We love profits.
0: Right, right. Like if you, the the sort of snarky comment I made in the email was like, if you know off the top of your head how many followers you have on social media, but not what your year over year profits are, or how they're tracking then like, like. Something is not good.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, what it just reminded me of—we've talked about this on a couple of episodes—is this scorecard idea. And this doesn't have to be fancy, but if you only have one metric on your scorecard, it's going to be profit. And ideally, it's a couple metrics. And I don't know whether followers are important. You know, email list growth for you would be important. For others, cash flow might be important. I mean, you can decide what the, you know, three to five things are that you really want to watch. But if you do nothing else, your scorecard once a month is that profit line.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't need to be just one dial on the dashboard, but I think the biggest one should be profits.
1: Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, that's what creates sustainable businesses so we can keep doing what we're doing.
0: Yeah. And so so I would argue to the person who is like, oh, that creates short-term thinking. I'm like, well, it actually supports long-term if you're not trying to maximize the profits. If you want to... You're not going to have a, a sustain. You're not going to have an impact without a sustainable business, and you're not going to have a sustainable business without reliable profits. So, I hope I, I'm sure a million people are listening to this. Like, duh! But wait for the. <laughs> 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 but I, I feel like it's so obvious that it's one of those things that's easy to skip over. I don't know.
1: Well, I, I thought it was important to cover because we talk a lot about, about impact, and impact's really important on this show. It absolutely is important, but yeah. they go together. You can't have impact without profit.
0: You can have profit
1: without impact, but let's (laughs) have both.
0: Yeah, got to fund the mission.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Cool. All right. Well, that's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark.
1: And I'm Rochelle Moulton.
0: And we hope you join us again next time for the Business of Authority. Bye.
1: Bye Bye-bye.